Hello, and welcome to Stories from A to Z with Mona P. I'm your host, Mona Pasanoff. Today's guests are Benny and Karen, a sailing couple who live aboard their sailboat full-time. The two of them were our ASA instructors the first time we sailed in St. Pete. They are an incredible team and know how to educate their sailing students keeping everyone safe while still having fun. If you hear some background jingles, it is their 15-pound Shipperke Bibber, their dog companion. Listen as they share what's entailed in living full-time on a boat. If you haven't had a chance to check out my stories from A to Z Facebook page, you may want to. There's a great photo of this happy couple. Welcome, Benny and Karen, to my podcast. It's nice to see you, Mona. Good to see you, Mona. Tell us a little bit about yourselves. Where did you grow up, if not Florida? What brought you here? Well, I grew up in New York, out on Long Island. I've always been a water person, and I've always been someone that liked the warm weather. Probably about 35 years ago, I moved to Florida and have loved it ever since. Benny? Uh, I was born in Tampa, in Ybor City, actually. So I've never lived anywhere else. I've, I've been to quite a few places, so I've always been in Florida. Okay, then how did the two of you meet? We both uh, met at work. Okay, doing what? We were in telecommunications, okay. IT. So nothing to do with sailing? No. No. Okay. Today we're going to focus mainly on sailing a boat and living on said sailboat. And the two of you live what they call aboard, which mm -hmm. you may want to give more of an explanation of that. How mm -hmm. did you get into sailing together? Where did it come into your relationship? At what point? Just give us a little bit of background. All right. When I was like nine years old or so, I don't know how I came into possession of this little paperback book, and it was uh, Learn to Sail. And I think the author's name was Jack Knight. Neither of my parents were boaters at all. They were absolutely landlocked, had nothing to do with uh, boating or sailing or fishing or anything. But for some reason, I had this little book, and I would read it incessantly just and it, and it would tell you how to s learn to sail however you know at one point it's it's all theoretical but i would really have wanted to got on a sailboat and actually sailed but because my parents uh, weren't interested in that never did but for many many years i would just read through this book and, and imagine and wonder what it would be like to sail so then when karen and i got married i mentioned that to her and Karen had been a boater before but not a sailboater and I'd mentioned this to my brother-in-law and he said oh look there's a over over in Clearwater I see all these little sailboats always sailing around so I went one day and it was uh, the Clearwater Community Sailing Center and they had a learn to sail class and that's where it all started so we went there and Finally, I finally was able to see what it was like to learn to sail, and that's how we got into sailing. What was it 
about sailing that you fell in love with? It's the um, one with nature kind of a experience. It's very, for me, it's very freeing. It takes away all of uh, your problems. It takes away all of your stress. It forces you to focus on the now and to pay attention to what's happening now. And it makes me feel good. What's the difference in that nature or natural feeling, relaxed feeling of being on a sailboat versus on a motorboat? My previous experience was on a powerboat and powerboats make noise and sailboats are quiet. It allows you to commune with nature more when you don't have this sound of an engine. And when you're with someone else or a group of people, you can have a conversation at normal tones instead of yelling over the sound of the motor. What is the furthest that you have ever sailed together? And do you have an interesting story about that? We first bought a little small 18-foot open day sailor, and we sailed that for quite a while out of the Clearwater Community Sailing Center. We had purchased that boat. And then we chartered a lot of boats, 30-foot, 35-foot boats. Other people owned it. We would get on there and charter it. And we eventually took lessons, American Sailing Association lessons, and learned to sail that way. But our first big boat that we owned was an Island Packet 40 that we had bought in Houston, Texas, in Kima, actually. We brought the boat from Kima all the way to Clearwater. They, one of the interesting things about that was it was at the same time that uh, Hurricane Katrina came ashore in um, Louisiana. That was very significant because our original plan was to cross the Gulf to bring it back. But after Katrina went through, Katrina knocked over so many of the oil rigs it was too dangerous to cross the Gulf at that time. Talk about a silver lining. We took the long way around and came through the intercoastal waterway and experienced so many wonderful things. And it was just such an adventure to okay. come that way. So it's interesting. When you said you purchased the boat in Texas, and you went to get it. I'm thinking you put it on a trailer and drove it back. No, no, no. No. No, we, um, we sailed her back. <laughs> okay. So did you get to go out and test drive it before you? Oh, yeah. Okay. And then what were some of those interesting things that you got to see coming up the intercoastal? Well, we had, we had never taken a, a boat that big that far. So we hired a captain to help us bring it back. And he helped us take it back almost all the way. And then we brought it back the rest of the way ourselves. For me, the most interesting thing was this captain had a very in-depth knowledge of the entire route. So we would just pull into these little backwater places and just tie up for the night. And we would ask Captain John, is it okay that we do this? He goes, yeah, unless they come and throw us out, you know, it, it'll be fine. It was very interesting, the, the little places that he knew of all the way across. Where did he drop us off? In Panama City? Panama City. 
that he left us in Panama City and we brought the boat back the rest of the way from there. For people who don't know, or even for myself, so you went from Texas, you took the boat through the Gulf. No, around the Panhandle. If you're inland, that's the Gulf. I mean, not inland, but in the Gulf. Where's the intercoastal up there? The intercoastal goes from, I think, Brownsville, Texas, all the way up to somewhere in Maine. And basically, it's a, uh, it's a route that's in between the large body of water and the land. So here in the Clearwater area, the Clearwater Beach, St. Pete Beach, all of those beaches, the intracoastal waterway is in between the land and those islands. So it's a protected route. And you could take that protected route all the way around uh, along the coastline. You could also get out of the intracoastal waterway and then just sail into the Gulf, sail across, which we did as well, but always with the option of ducking in to the safety of the intracoastal waterway. I just want to go back a second. You mentioned ASA, and actually that's how I met you. And you both were on our first trip out with Intelligent Sailing. Can you just give people a little bit of background about ASA and how you got into being an instructor? Uh, ASA stands for the American Sailing Association. Very robust curriculum of sailing from introduction of sailing as to what are the parts of the boat, all the way to overnight sailing, offshore big weather sailing. There are numerous curriculum or classes that you could take with the American Sailing Association. There's some other uh, similar organizations as well. But uh, the best thing about American Sailing Association is that you're learning a curriculum that's set forth, that's been proven thousands and thousands and thousands of time over. You're not just learning from some person that sailed his whole life, his or her whole life. They may be able to get from point A to point B, but they may not be explaining how that happens. When we became members of the Clearwater Community Sailing Center, they said, oh, if you want to really learn to sail, you should take these ASA classes, which we did. And we took so many of them, and eventually we were so enamored with it, we became instructors. So there's a certification process that you have to go through, and that's how we became instructors of uh, American Sailing Association. Are you still teaching at all? I'm not. I've got the job here as a uh, dock master at a local marina, and I just really haven't had the uh, time or the uh, opportunity to go back out teach. So I've sort of put that on the back burner quite a bit. Okay. Karen, you too, because of your work? Yeah, it's, it's really hard when you're uh, working 40 hours a week to be able to do that. Do you want to just explain quickly what a dock master is? You yeah, know, the, all these terms, right? The, the, it's a whole new language. There's a marina here, and it's the marina where we keep our boat and where we live. And there's about 135 slips. So there's got to be somebody that manages the property, the boats, people coming and going and renting slips and people that have problems with their boat or uh, have problems coming and going. So basically, you're a, a manager of the property and of the boats, and you're the main interface with the tenants of the uh, liveaboard tenants as well as people that just keep their boats here and come out on the weekends that's what the dock master job is okay so that's a great segue into the topic of living aboard if you could for those who don't know explain what living aboard 
means? It means waking up in the morning in your bed and your bed is in a boat and you're floating on the water. It means I live in a two bedroom condo on the water, as in on the water. And when um, I walk the dog, I get off the boat and we go for a walk and bring him back. And then when I have to go to work, I get my stuff and I get off the boat and walk into the parking lot, get in my car and drive to work. It's our primary residence. We have no other house. This is where we live 100% of the time, all the time. So what is that like space-wise? And what about stuff? <laughs> Space-wise, you know, we, we live on a 43-foot sailboat, and it's got a very nice large aft cabin. Uh, the salon here is, is very nice, a separate little galley. So from an actual physical space, we, we're used to it. We like it. We could go topside. We could sit in the cockpit. We could sit on the back deck. From a living space, it's great. Storage is a whole other story. <laughs> you have to be extremely frugal in where stuff is stored, how it's stored, what you really need versus what you would want. In my case, I love shoes. I got a lot of different shoes and sandals and tennis shoes and boat shoes. And that's been the most difficult thing. Where am I, where do I keep these? <laughs> so, so storage is probably the primary uh, challenge. Yes. You, um, you get to decide up front what you really, really, really need, not want, need. One of the rules is when you want to bring something new aboard, before you can get it, you have to identify where you're going to put it. It makes it much easier to keep clean and tidy. That's a selling point. Okay. You don't have to move any furniture to, to vacuum underneath it. You're right, because everything is attached. Exactly. When did you decide to stop living in what I'm going to call a real a land house and start living full time on your boat? And did you purchase this boat to live on or was this your sailing boat and then you decided to live on it full time? We purchased this boat because we wanted to be able to stay aboard in more comfort than our previous boat and stay aboard so that when we would do something, we wouldn't feel cramped, which meant we stayed aboard more often. I don't know if we specifically thought about living aboard when we first bought it. We would just go for like a week at a time. We would take off a week and we'd go in the boat and we'd stay on the boat for about a week or a long weekend. So initially we didn't purchase the boat with the intention of living aboard full time, but we wanted a comfortable boat that we could stay on for a week or so and uh, feel comfortable and safe on it. So that's, that's why we got this specific boat. Okay. And then what possessed you to give up your land house and move on full time? It was probably a combination of things. When we started spending more time at the boat, and being on the boat more than we were at the house, it started to become a weight. You have to take care of both properties. The final straw for me was, I guess it's been almost four years now. We had a hurricane come through here 
and we had to look out for both properties. And it was very stressful and it was very difficult because it's a lot of work. I was like, that's it. We spend more time at the boat. We enjoy the boat more. We're not enjoying this house. We're just having to work and take care of it. It's just like an albatross at this point. The other part, the market had come up. It was a good time to sell it. So we've been living aboard for, I think it's four years now. And you don't miss living on land at all? No. What about, like, for me, I garden. Like, is that something that you did and do you miss it? We did. And whenever I do miss it, we'll go buy some um, herb. Because we were mostly herb gardeners. There's a space right in front of the boat, you know, a little patch of land. We'll put some herbs in there and get our hands dirty and, you know, take care of it for a season or something like that. And What are some of the pros and cons for living on a boat? For me, one of the pros is the great sense of freedom. If I'm living in a house and I have neighbors that have moved in on either side, if they're loud or obnoxious or whatever, how do I get out of here? I have to sell my house to move to a better neighborhood. In a boat, you just give your 30 days notice to the marina and you go someplace else. So obviously, it's not as easy as just pulling in anywhere. There's got to be some thought to it, but there's the freedom of being able to just move your boat. And when we go on vacation, we take our house with us. We're on our house. We go to Fort Myers or Key West, we just go. One of the pros is a great sense of freedom living on the boat. That's very true. It's a, a good feeling to um, not have to worry about anything because everything is with you. You don't have to pack your suitcase. It's with you. If it's cold, I got that. If it's hot, I got that too. It just makes it easy. What would be some of the drawbacks? It's sort of a pro and a con. We're responsible for 43 feet of electric plumbing, sewer, everything that is required to live and provide uh, utilities. We do have shore power that's provided by the electric company, so that comes into the boat. But after that, we've got water tanks. The water is not coming from the city water. We have to fill up the water tanks. Uh, we have propane cooking, so we have to go fill up the propane tanks. We're responsible for 40 feet a little more of the mechanical aspects than I would have to be responsible for in a house. The air conditioning goes out in a house. I call an air conditioner or I try to fix it myself. Correct. But here it's, uh, the cons are, it's me. The, the pro is it's just 43 feet that I have to make sure keeps floating and keeps working with a sense of freedom comes almost a little higher sense of responsibility to maintain that freedom. I don't know if that's a pro or a con, but... When you have a problem on the boat or an issue, there's no one you can call? Like, are there boat fixer people? Yeah. Oh, oh, there are. But you would have to be fairly wealthy to... The typical boat mechanic that would come out to your boat is at $100 an hour, depending on who you get and their qualifications for years and years and years. Even when we weren't living aboard, I've had to learn how to do a lot of the basic stuff myself only because it's so expensive to have people come on and do that. There's a point where I could only take it so far. There's nothing else I could do. 
I've got to place the call. It'd be extremely expensive to just call people and, hey, my batteries are going bad. Come and replace them. So would you say that most people who live aboard know how to do their own repair? I would say there's um, a higher percentage of people that know how to maintain the boat they're living on. As well as a professional, probably not, but they can keep it so that it is still livable. And of course, we're talking about boats in the 35 to 45 to 50 foot range. When you get into the larger yachts, those are all professionally maintained. They're owned by people that can afford that. These smaller boats like the one we're on, we don't have that unlimited funds to just have everybody all the time fix the stuff on the boat. How old is your boat? It's a 1986. When you buy an older home and you move in, you question the roof. Is the roof in good shape? How is the uh, hot water heater? Does the air conditioning work? It's very similar. It's very similar. Everything ages. When we bought this boat over the course of years, we have replaced the hot water heater, the air conditioning. Benny has painted the boat. We've had to rebed the windows. It's similar to home repairs. Very similar. Just from an age perspective, our water tanks, you're not going to be replacing your water tanks, but you're probably replacing, got to replace the faucets, the uh, little joker valve inside your uh, toilet. You got to replace that stuff. Same thing on a boat. So I guess the, the newer the boat, the less structural issues you may have. But sometimes the older boats, like made, made in the 80s on up, they're well, well built. They're solidly built. Again, trade-offs on, do I want this boat to be 100% uh, turnkey that I just walk on and everything's brand new? And, and a lot of times those boats are maybe not as built as hefty as some of these older boats. Boats into the 70s and earlier, you're, you're at a kind of a loss. It's a little too old at that point. Thank you. How much sailing do you actually do now? We take the boat out, you know, sometimes once a month, other times maybe a, a couple of times a month. Sometimes on a long weekend, we'll go for a week. Hurricane season, we're not going out at all. We're just getting the boat prepared for hurricane season. So there's some times that we don't take the boat out at all. What do you have to do to prepare for hurricane season? For a sailboat, you either take the sails down or wrap them up tightly. Any of the canvas, the bimini tops that protect you from the sun, take those down. You double up your dock lines. So there's two lines instead of one to have a stronger connection to, to the dock. That's basically hurricane preparedness. You also have insurance, just like a house. And you probably have candles in case the electric goes out. No, you, we have a generator. <laughs> what does it feel like to be on the boat in the harbor? Does it get really choppy if it's a hurricane or it's a big storm? Well, we're in a very good uh, protected marina. You always want to be in a marina that's as, got as much protection as possible. We have very good protection here. We've never had a hurricane hit us here. 
we've had the winds clock over 50 miles an hour and the water come up quite a bit. It's noisy. The rigging, the wind will whistle through the rigging. So it's noisy. And you hear the wind, you know, basically howling and the, the rigging will be making a sound. And, and it'll be a little rocky rolly, nothing horrific. It's not like you're out in the ocean or something like that. It's just rocky rolly and noisy. Have you ever been on the ocean in either this boat or another boat? Have you ever gone to the Keys or Cuba or? Yeah, twice actually. Once was uh, we were returning on a trip from Key West. We we're about 40 miles offshore out in the Gulf of Mexico in bad weather, really bad weather. One time we were in British Virgin Islands on a charter boat and it was a tropical depression. We were in St. Joseph Sound trying to ring the boat back. And it was quite the experience. So do you use your sails then or you just motor? Typically your, your motor sailing. So you, so you have the sails reduced extremely so that there's only a little bit of the sail showing. It keeps the boat stable and balanced. And then you are using your uh, engine to move forward but so much depends on the direction the waves are coming. And sometimes you can't go the direction you want to go. You have to go in what's the safest direction regarding the winds and the waves. There's so much to know about sailing. It is a whole other language, culture, way of being. If someone was wondering if they should start sailing, where or how should they begin? I would highly recommend in this area, the Clearwater Sailing Center, where we started. It was a fabulous program. If they don't live anywhere near there, Google uh, Learn to Sail. And in, I'm sure there's so many American Sailing Association clubs that they will be able to find one. And it is the best way to learn to sail because you have the guidance of someone that knows what they're doing and the safety so that you don't get hurt and so that it's enjoyable and it's not a problem. I agree with that. If anyone was thinking about living on their sailboat, what suggestions or words of wisdom would you share? I would say if you own a boat, spend more nights aboard, consecutive nights aboard. Cook on the boat. Go do your laundry while staying on the boat. Grocery shopping. Storage of food. Typically, refrigerators and freezers are smaller because we're living in a smaller space. So it's not like at a house where you have a big freezer or refrigerator you can stock up. Uh, we go to the store every day, every couple of days, and uh, it's kind of just in time, whatever we need, whatever we're going to cook. For the next day or so. So I would say live on the boat, cook on the boat, provision. How is that going to work? And like Karen said, the laundry, how are you going to do your laundry to see if that's going to be sustainable 100% of the time? It's one thing to go, well, I went on vacation for five days and I lived in the boat for five days. But oh boy, at the end of the five days, I got to go home and I've got a big bathroom and a big shower, et cetera. Now, what, what would it be like to be on this? smaller home 100% of the time, definitely try it out. 
Did you ever regret it when you first made the initial move? Not, not no. me. No, not at all. No. I really felt like we had spent a lot of time aboard the boat for, for days and understood what it was going to mean. We basically had the boat always ready. We didn't have to bring stuff from the house when we wanted to use the boat. It was already on the boat. There was no, no trouble whatsoever to just stay on the boat. All right, so here's another question. I'm pretty sure you have grandchildren, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yes. What yeah. happens if you want to have pre-COVID or you know, co non-withstanding COVID, what happens if you want to have guests come over and ask them to come over? We've had we've had all our grandkids here. We have uh, well, we had five of them here at once. You know, they get to play pirate, and they get to go fishing off the boat, and they get to jump off the boat when we take them places. We let them drive the boat. We even put them to work on the boat. Sent them up the mast one time. They just become part of what you're doing. Got it. Thank you for that. Now we're going to switch gears one more time. When you buy a boat, do you keep it the way it was or did you make changes to make it more homey for yourselves? When we bought this boat, there were drapes. They were small, but there were little pleated drapes. And um, Benny was like, that, that's going before we move this boat. So they came off, uh, the blinds had been replaced because the ones that were on there were broken and cracked. So they got replaced. You can change the upholstery. You can do that. We, we, we like art. So we have um, art and canvas on the walls where we could. You make it your own. This used to be brown and, I, and it got painted. Make it what you like. What's the difference of living on a powerboat versus a sailboat first it's are you a powerboat or are you a sailor and some people do both because we love to sail we chose to live on a sailboat other people don't know how to sail or don't want to sail and they choose to live on a powerboat first thing is what's your desire on a boat to, to to be a boater the actual advantages or disadvantages there's usually more room on a power boat of similar length. Sailboats, given their more narrow design to cut through the water and to go sailing, there's less square footage on a 43-foot sailboat. If we had a 43-foot power boat... He could have more shoes. I, <laughs> I'd have a lot more room for my shoes. In regards to living aboard, you probably have more square feet on a powerboat, on a same length powerboat than, than you would on a same length sailboat. Okay. Right. And just to go back to the water tanks, when you were talking about you have electric shore power, but you don't have water from the county or from anyone. So where do you get your water? How do you fill your water? Well, we do fill it up uh, on our shore power pedestal. There's a, there's a faucet that's got water from the city. We have a hose. We've got two tanks. We've got a tank on the port side, a tank on the starboard side. When the port side 
gets empty, we switch over to the starboard side and we have to fill up the port side. So we bring the hose on, we fill up the port side, and then we cap it off, we turn it off. So the, our water is basically self-contained, except we eventually have to fill it up as we're using it. Just like an RV. Okay. So on an RV, oh. we use a filter. Yeah. You fi filter your, your drinking water? No, we filter it when we, it comes out of the tap. Yeah, yeah drinking water, yes. As you get older, where do you think you'll wind up? Will you stay on a sailboat? Will you go back to a land place? Have you discussed there, that at all? Oh, definitely. This, this is the typical, for a sailboater, this is the typical progression. There's a point where sailing is difficult, physically demanding, going up and down the steps, climbing over the combing to get to a line, raising the sail. It becomes physically demanding. A lot of times sailboaters, will, when that gets to be too much physically, they'll transition to a trawler, which is a powerboat that doesn't go fast. It probably goes as fast as a sailboat. Then there's a certain point where it's just too physically demanding just to get on and off of a boat. The older you get, or if you have any kind of physical ailments, it could become dangerous. And at that point, you transition to a condo or a land base, some kind of land based property. Or an assisted living facility. Hopefully, you just go right <laughs> to, to, yeah, skip that part. But, but that's kind of the progression. And that's interesting because then, really, what you're saying is there aren't a lot of elder people who are still sailing, or are there? We had a neighbor here who was in his 80s. And, and Bill over there. And was very fit and still was able to get on off the boat, still was able to take the boat out. Mm -hmm. He was in his 80s. Physical health was okay, but he started to uh, run into dementia and have, was having problems. So at that point, he did have to go to a facility. But no, there are people that uh, if you do it right, you could be in your 80s and be sailing. Yeah. So have you had the discussion of would you downsize to a trawler or would you just go from a sailboat back to like a condo or something like that? No, we'd go, we're, we would go to a trawler. Okay. Yep. Excellent. You just love being on the water. Yes. I am a water person and I love being, I've always, always, always as a child, even gravitated towards the water. We, we were taught at a very young age how to swim. I'm a certified scuba diver. I just love being on the water, by the water, near the water. There is something in regards to living in a marina with other liveaboards, but yeah. people are also living aboard. There's an immediate connection between the people in this, if you want to call it a neighborhood, which is the marina. If you're a land-based neighborhood, a fireman may live across the street, a doctor may live over here, a carpenter over there. But in a marina, everybody's got this very intense uh, connection. Everybody knows exactly, I gotta fill up the whole water. I had a problem with my batteries. I needed to get the bottom painted. There's an immediate sense of community, even if you went to a marina that you'd never been to before. That's one of the aspects that Karen likes and I like is there's an immediate, uh, amazing sense of close community of being a boater. And being a liveaboard boater 
it takes it just even that much further. Yeah. Like I said to Benny one day, I said, you know, I really feel like if something were to happen to Benny, like he fell and there's, you know, of course I can't pick him up. I know without a shadow of a doubt, all I need to do is say, hey, somebody come help. And boom, somebody's here immediately helping a, me. A lot of people would be here. Yeah. And, and everybody knows everybody in a good way. We have enough space apart from each other. We'll have periodic get-togethers. It'll be potluck. It's just a really good environment. Last year when COVID hit and we all had to stay away from each other, that was normal operating procedure. We do stay away from each other. You're on the other side of the fairway. We could talk to everybody. We could still see everybody. It was nice. You didn't feel alone. How did you decide to choose this marina to live in? On this coast of Florida, finding a live-aboard marina is far and few in between. Not a lot of choices. A lot of marinas don't have live-aboards. You know, marinas that are live-aboards, are they in the right place where you work or where you want to be? What kind of protection do they offer? What do you mean by protection? You mean security? No, no. from the uh, weather. Can I afford their prices? And what kind of amenities do are they offering? Kind of like moving into a, one of those communities that has a pool and a clubhouse and stuff like that. You know, what are the requirements? And this particular marina had so much to offer. We had other friends that moved in here and recommended it. So when we could, we moved in too. Do you live close enough to a grocery store that for your daily <laughs> We live close, we live, one, two, there are three uh, grocery stores in walking distance. We live close to everything, an auto parts store. You can walk to everything if you had to, even an ice cream store. That's important. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, Benny and Karen, thank you so much for talking to me about all of this. I know that the listeners are going to find it super interesting and i wish you smooth sailing <laughs> thank you mona it's been a pleasure uh to to be with you uh, uh it, it's been a lot of fun thanks for uh showing us interest thanks for listening today i hope you enjoyed it as always i would appreciate your sharing this podcast with your friends and family if you are on Instagram, please click to follow me. You can find this podcast on SoundCloud and most other podcast platforms. Some you type in the whole title, some just A to Z with Mona P. The next episode will be available in two weeks, usually on a Monday. Till next time, this is Stories from A to Z with Mona P.